Uh, are you here? Amen. Good. I'm here too. I also have some of the same stuff that Eric had. I don't know if it was the exact same. I have stopped short of blaming him like his wife does. Um, but if I crack a Coca-Cola up here because that stops me from coughing my lung out, then forgive me. Uh, if you would, though, open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. We're not preaching from Ephesians uh, as a text necessarily, but we are going to be in Ephesians a bit this uh, morning. And of course, the sermon is the last sermon of this series, Church Membership by the Book, Treasure Your Church Membership. We've been talking about church membership because church membership is important. It just is. Far more important than we understand, far more important than we often uh, uh, consider because, well, for those of us who have grown up in church, it's become a pretty common and usual thing for us. And, and it's very easy, especially as we live in this consumeristic society that we live in, this capitalistic, which is capitalism is a wonderful thing. I think it's even maybe biblical, but that's another sermon. Um, uh, uh, in this society, we have an idea that is kind of self-focused. It's all about me, which is not biblical. We've going through this series. We've talked about being a, a functional church member versus being a non-functioning church member, and we talked about the members of your body and how you know if you have a member of your body that's not working so well, well then. You know that kind of everything kind of uh, suffers because of it. If you have a member of your car uh, that is not operating correctly, well, then the whole uh, uh, unit will suffer. It may not even function at all. We also talked about being a unifying church member. We talked about uh, uh, engaging in church membership with purpose over preference. Uh, our preferences informs so much of our life, and we get this idea in our head that everything's got to be according to what we like and enjoy, or we're just going to go to another church. That's not biblical. Um, but Lester preached a message about standing with your church leaders. Um, last week, I talked about involving your family in your church and, and bringing your family in church, and this week, treasure your church membership. And if you've had an opportunity to look at uh, the book that I've I bought for you, if you have a, a desire for that, uh, uh, Tom Rayner, who is the author of that book, uh, talks about two different perspectives of church membership. The first one is uh, similar to a country club membership, uh, where joining a church, you join a church to see what you can get out of it. The pastor is to feed you through his sermons. Uh, you have a specified and acceptable range for the length of the sermon. Uh, we have a, a, uh, the music is to fit the style that you enjoy, and any deviations are not acceptable. The programs and ministries are for your benefit. This is an attitude that exists in almost every church, and sometimes is the church model of those churches. But the second option is what we want to talk about today, which is the biblical perspective of church membership and, and how we should view it. We should treasure our church membership. So if you look in uh, Ephesians, we're in Ephesians, I want to talk to you about uh, the biblical perspective of church membership. The first thing we need to understand is that church membership, a church membership is uh, church members, <laughs> church bodies are made up of believers, Okay, if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, 
uh, the, the believers are the quickened of Ephesians chapter two. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation. Listen, this is what is making up the church. And it's people who he has quickened in verse one. It means he's made them alive. And, and, and in that situation where it talks about how we were dead and trespasses and sins, when we get to verse four, it says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together in Christ, with Christ, uh, by grace you are saved and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I, I do want to make sure I, 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 I preach this to you in its correct context, whatever he says together, those several times throughout this passage, he's not talking about us together with each other. And that I think is included, but most of the in, uh, impact, most of the emphasis is on our togetherness with Jesus Christ. Okay, we've been made alive together. Remember Jesus he was dead. Do you remember that? He wasn't dead in his trespasses and sin. He was dead in our trespasses and sin, wasn't he? And whenever, G, whenever God raised him from the dead, we have been raised with Christ together with him, together to sit in heavenly places with Christ. And, and this is the same people. They, we're the quickened. The membership is made up of believers, the quickened of Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 6. Also, the, the members of the church are the members that are his workmanship described in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And if you go to verse 19, now therefore you're no more strangers. Listen, the, the position we had before we were saved, before we had been redeemed, before we became believers, is that we were strangers and foreigners. And he's talking about Gentiles a little bit here. <coughs> but not only that, we're also talking about our relationship with God. We're separate from this kingdom of God. We're strangers, we're aliens, but now we're fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God, but are built upon the foundation of the apostles and, and prophets, Jesus Christ being at the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together. He's talking about a church here, uh, uh, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So this, this group of believers are the quickened, they're the, they're, they're his workmanship, and, and we are the unified body presented in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, and uh, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Listen, uh, the, the church and members are made up of believers, baptized believers who are covenanted together to fulfill the purposes of Christ and not ourselves. That's what it's, uh, the church is to be made up of. We are put into churches by God himself. If you're a member of Northwest Baptist Church, I believe God puts you into this church. God put me into this church. And it's my job to be a unified functioning member of this church. What about 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27 and 28? Now, are you there, and now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church. And then he talks about uh, uh, the some that he talk, uh, put into the church, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, and, uh, and other gifts of the Spirit. But he's talking about people he's put into the church, and you're some of those. 
if you're a member of this church. But if, if we're the, as believers, the body that makes up the church membership, we need to see that biblically church membership is a gift. How do we make that connection? Go to Romans chapter 6, or just in your mind, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. You remember anybody, can, can anybody quote that verse for me? For the wages of sin are death. Not a very um, happy passage, a few words. The wages of sin are death. What does that verse mean? What do those words mean? That means that the, the, the penalty for our sin is eternal separation from God, right? I'm going to take a drink. I'm so sorry. Praise the Lord. The wages of sin are death. But that verse doesn't stop there, does it? Man. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How about 1 John 5? And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For Ephesians 2.8-9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest, not of works, lest any man should boast. Or John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Romans 5, 21. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Or John 10, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Or John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. All of these verses, what what do they illustrate for us about salvation? I know it's not Sunday school anymore, okay, and that you're supposed to just sit there really quietly and try not to fall asleep while I preach. But, but you can answer this question. What does it illustrate about salvation? It's free. Can you earn something that's free? It, what, wait a minute. Let, let's, let's consider that, that comment that it's free. Is it free to you? Was it free no, there was a tremendous price paid. The way you become saved, there's no way to become a believer through any other means than the gift that is in Jesus Christ. Your eternal life is dependent upon the gift of Jesus Christ, of his salvation. It can't be a gift if you, if you paid for it, like a country club membership. Uh, I've never been the member of a country club and I don't expect that I ever will. I really hate golf, so I don't have a lot of incentive. I guess there's other things to do there, but um, I, I don't have any interest. But uh, my family, one year we bought a membership to Moody Gardens. Man, we paid for us. It was a it was a dearly bought, hundreds of dollars, and we used it to every 
every opportunity that we could. We lived down there in Texas City, real close to Moody Gardens, and so we got to go on a regular basis. But we paid for that. It wasn't given to me. Listen, you can't have salvation if you pay for it. You can't buy eternal life. You can't give enough to the church. There's people who've done it for hundreds of years, and they're going to do it for 100 years more if the Lord gives them an opportunity to, to try to buy salvation. They'll, they'll give uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the church. They'll give millions of dollars to the church. Someday, whenever inflation gets crazy enough, maybe they'll give billions of dollars to churches. But it won't buy them one moment in heaven because you can't buy a gift. It's not a gift if you bought it. It's, it's not a gift if you have to work off your debt. Listen, you're not going to achieve salvation by being good enough. For by grace, what does that say in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace you are saved through faith. <coughs> not of works. You can't be good enough. Your salvation is a gift. You can't work off your debt to Jesus. You can't do it. It's impossible. The only way to do it is to spend an eternity in hell. A, a never-ending period of time separated from God for all eternity. That's the way to pay the debt yourself. But Jesus paid it for you. It is a gift because it was bought by someone who could pay the price. It was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is offered all, freely to all through faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. Tom Rainer in his book, he's got some really good quotes throughout this whole book. And I haven't really used a lot of them. I haven't used any of them until this message, but I, I got to share this with you. He says, do you see what's taking place? You received a gift, a free gift of eternal salvation. That gift includes eternal, uh, uh, eternal salvation. It includes forgiveness of sins by Christ's death on the cross. It includes adoption by God the Father. <coughs> it includes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it includes becoming a part of the body of Christ. That's right. Membership in the body of Christ, the church, is a gift from God. It's not a legalistic obligation. It's not country club perks. It's not a license for entitlement. It's a gift, a gift from God, a gift that we should treasure with great joy and anticipation. Listen, just as salvation is a gift from God, so is our church membership. Let's talk a little bit about the church. Uh, I have a, a point you'll see if you have my, the bulletin and the notes on the back. Universal church versus local church. How many of y'all have ever heard about the universal church? Oh yeah. If you're still in Ephesians chapter 2, you might hang out there a little bit. Um, there's a problem with the universal church. Let me, just, let me just tell you what our church's position is. There is no universal church. Okay? Because the church is a local called out assembly. The word ekklesia is the Greek word we get uh, church from. It means a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place and assembly. So can it be, can you be called out of your home? I mean, I guess you could like go stand outside and then you're part of the, the gathering of church on earth. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Uh, it's, it, there's no practical connection there to doing church as Christ demonstrated and, and established as the church. 
what, it, what we are, the much-touted universal church, is simply the household of God, as described for us in Ephesians 2.19. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. I know Brother Lester could preach a whole series of sermons about the family of God, and he probably has. And if you have questions about that, I know he's got about three books you could probably read to share with you information about that. I don't have time to unpack all that for you, but we're part of the household of God. And we are, that means we are part of a, a, a worldwide believers of, of people who are living and dead and, and people who will be born uh, someday. But that is the household of God, but that is not the church. We believe in local church. In Ephesians 1.1, Paul wrote to a local church. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. Hey, Ephesus may not be a town anymore, but it was a town at one point, and there was a church there. In Colossians, he wrote to the, faithful, the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Or in Philippians, Paul and Timotheus, the servant of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Jesus Christ which are at Philippi. And the bishops and the deacons. <coughs> 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 1 and 2. He says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So if you, even if you believe there is a universal church, the New Testament Christianity was built upon local churches. Yes. Throughout the book of Acts, you see churches. Jerusalem, Antioch, Cyprus, Antioch of Pisidia, Inconium. I, I could go on and on. There's a couple of dozen here. New Testament books were written to specific local churches. The book of Romans, Corinthians. Ephesians, Philippians, we've seen some of these. Thessalonians, these were written to churches. Four of Paul's books were written to individuals, but they were written to individuals who were serving in a specific church context, like Timothy and Titus and Philemon. Even the book of Revelation has messages for local churches. So the New Testament church... uh, New Testament church is based on local churches. And if you're part of a New Testament church, you've got to be part of a local church. So even if you believe that there is some kind of universal church, New Testament Christianity was built on local churches. You've got to recognize that the New Testament never talks about people who are part of the family of God and not a local church. There's no message in the New Testament to someone who's, who's staying at home watching YouTube videos of preachers and whichever ones they like to hear from sending their money to this church and listening to the preacher at that church and staying at home and mowing their lawn on Sunday instead of on Saturday or Sunday afternoon. That doesn't exist. Local membership is vital to the growth of believers. It is the place where you can serve the way Christ intended for you to serve. It's the place where you can use the gifts that that God has given you. It's the place where you are held accountable. A a, a lot of people think, well, I can use my gifts for God outside of a church. Sure you can. I can serve God outside of church. I can witness to others on the bus or or, or while I'm at work in the lunchroom. Yes, sure you can. You can do that without being a church member. You know, it's really hard for a church to hold you responsible for your actions and help you grow in faith if you're not part of a local body. It's just not going to happen. You're supposed to be part of a local church. It's the place where you're held accountable. Some believers have attempted to say that their inclusion in the universal church is sufficient, is sufficient, but they're wrong. They missed it. Many people, and this is going to continue to happen, 
The churches, by the way, Jesus did say, uh, no matter what happens, he says, uh, upon this will I build my church. He's talking about his identity, by the way, not Peter's identity. Upon this will I build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will always be New Testament churches on this planet until the Lord comes. But there will always be people who will say, man, that stuff's for the birds. That stuff's for history. There's no more value to it. They want to throw the, the and then they'll, they'll look at churches and they'll go, man, that's, that's a place full of hypocrites. That's a place full of liars and snakes. And you know what? They'd be right in many cases. But what they do is they throw the baby out with the bathwater and they just give up on God's plan for them to serve in a local church. There is no such thing as a universal church. It's the local church that is important. I get to my third point. Boy, I'm moving fast. Praise the Lord. What should we do then? We should treasure church membership as a gift. If you would open your Bible to the book of Matthew. Jesus is... Ministry is winding down. He, is, um, he has just told his disciples, and if you need any proof that the disciples really didn't understand what he was talking about when he was talking about his death, this is a great passage to see that. Uh, the, first, uh, the three verses preceding our uh, verse 20, Jesus talks about to the disciples how, um, how the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sin, uh, into the, under the chief priests and the scribes, and they'll condemn him to death. And... and um, that he'll be crucified. And then in verse 20, we see that their reaction indicates that they have no clue what he's talking about. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee, children of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these two sons, that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right, thy right hand and the other on thy left, and thy kingdom. You can go to Mark uh, chapter 10 and read the same passage, uh, same, same account, where these Mama Zebedee comes. Who was she Mama of? John and James. The sons of thunder, that's right. Uh, and she asks that their, her two sons be put in the places of highest importance in Christ's earthly kingdom. Think about this. Jesus, they've understood that he's the Messiah. Without any, uh, Without any question now, they see that. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him calm the storm. They've seen him call out demons. They've seen him do... Uh, Every bit of a uh, 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 miracle that they that they could see that would prove to them that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah. And and what do they want from him? They want prominence. They want power. You know, if you're uh, if you're really good buddies with a king, he might lend you his resources. They want the resources of the king. They want the perks, the benefits of being 
on Jesus' right hand and his left hand in his kingdom. That's their attitude. What's in it for me? Jesus corrects their attitude. He says in verse 22, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They had no clue what he was talking about. And they said, Sure, we're able to. Yeah, we could do that. Sure, yeah. He said to them, Yeah, you shall drink indeed of the cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. When the ten heard of it, they were moved with indignation against the sons of thunder. But Jesus set them all straight. He called them unto himself. He said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus identified that their attitude stunk. He said, the greatest shall be a servant. A lot of times whenever I'm uh, doing laundry at home or uh, I, I got this opportunity on Sunday, I was helping gather some tables for our our party uh, yesterday, our parties yesterday. And uh, the ladies who were setting everything up and the decorations, they were apologizing. Brother Darren, you don't have to go get a table for us. I said, man, the, the Bible says that the greatest shall be a servant. I'm just trying to be the greatest here. And I, I joke about that. But the attitude is really, that's, that's, what, that's what is a biblical attitude is to see what God has done for us is such a great gift that we're willing to give of ourselves. Amen. The greatest shall be a servant. Even Jesus demonstrated that type of servanthood. The, the attitude that Jesus is describing is an attitude that would come from deep gratefulness for this gift of salvation. I mean, Jesus, we talked about this. He paid for that gift with his own blood. If you're sitting here this morning and at some point in your life, you can look back and recognize that there was a time and a day when you, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you put your faith and trust in the blood of Christ. I know, I, I, I think I know that you are probably deeply grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ and the salvation, the hope that you have, the eternal hope. And I'm not talking about hope like, man, I hope this happens, or wishful thinking. I'm talking about secure understanding of where you're going for eternity. You're probably very grateful for that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Praise the Lord. I'm going to take another drink. Jesus also established the church model. He planted that first church among those disciples and apostles. That church that multiplied into, and planted more churches. And planted more churches. We see them scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor and, and the book of Acts. We see them scattered throughout uh, the, the, the modern land or modern world at that time. And then they planted more churches, and we, we see them uh, uh, branch off into 
Europe and, and planted more churches and planted more churches. And my goodness, it's led to this day. We have Northwest Baptist Church established in 1964. Not all of the history of these churches woven together is a beautiful tapestry of, uh, of, of human uh, uh, excellence. There's a lot of ugliness along the way. But this is the, the tool, the model that Jesus established to continue his ministry throughout the world. Jesus gave us something in the church that we should be eternally thankful for. Something we should treasure. I treasure my church membership. There were times in my own personal life where I hadn't, I thought, man, I don't want to go to church, mom. My dad, I don't want to go to church. My brothers didn't go to church when they were 17. Why do I have to go to church? It's a place where I grew, it's a place where I had opportunity to serve. It's a place where I've been held accountable. And you know, whenever me and the deacons, we have a deacons meeting tomorrow. When we get together and we pray, you know one of the, most, one of the things we're most thankful for when we pray together? That we get to serve God. He has redeemed me with his blood. If someone saved your life, do you think you'd want to do something for them? Church membership is a gift. A gift that must be treasured. It's not to be taken for granted or considered lightly. Because it's a gift we should always be thankful for it. When we're thankful for something, we usually have less time and energy to be negative about it. When we receive a gift with true gratefulness, we naturally should want to respond to that giver. We get to serve a king as members of his church. You'll find that there's churches are not that, that churches are not made up of perfect people. I, I want you to, you know, you're all looking at me, trying to keep your eyes open. I know. Why don't you look around a little bit at each other? You see people that are just like you, sinners. And you'll find their faults. If you look at me very long, you'll find my faults. I fail every day. <laughs> but like you, the church is made up of people that have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And while this world has changed tremendously in the some 2,000 years uh, since Jesus started that first church, churches are still the place where believers, believers will grow the best, where they'll be able to serve correctly, that they'll be able to be connected to others like one another. It's the place where we can truly worship our Creator. I don't know what the uh, attendance is this morning. It'll be in our bulletin next week. But uh, our church sits about 
How many of y'all know how many seats we have in here? We have pews. We have over 30 pews. And uh, we can seat about 300 bottoms. Really uncomfortably, probably. (laughs) Comfortably, I think we could sit about 150, 175. We don't have that many this morning, and that's okay. Do you know there's empty seats where there could be someone next week who was invited to church by you? Brought to this place where they can hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Next week, I'm, I'm, I have a, a, a gospel message I'm preparing, a Christmas gospel message. I think it's going to be fun. I'd like them to hear it. I, I'm, I'm going to need to hear it again. You know, I need to hear the gospel over and over. Do you treasure your church? Let me ask you this. Will you, you're sitting in a pew here. There's a Except for Alan, he's standing, he's sitting against a table. Would you, would you pray for this pew that you're sitting in? That God might put some new bottoms in it next week? And maybe that God might move you to invite someone to sit in that pew next to you? Listen, there's a lot we can do for our church if we'll treasure it. We're a church that's we're, we're growing a little bit, nice and slowly. That's a good thing. But we have some growing pains. We need people that serve in children's ministry. We need people who serve in technology ministry. We need people to serve in the music ministry. We need people to, to, to serve in teaching classes. We need people who are willing to maybe get together and pray on a regular basis other than Sunday and Wednesday. You know, someone who's a member of a club might do those things out of obligation. Well, I kind of paid for my membership here, and if I want it to be a good place, then I guess I'll do what I'm... Do you know, if you serve with that attitude, and there's people who've served in churches for, uh, for hundreds of years with that attitude, you know, they don't last very long. Maybe you just need to pray that God will raise up people who... Treasure the church and want to serve. See her grow. I don't know what God wants to do with you this morning. I know he wants you to pray. So we have about, we have a few minutes. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand. If you're here this morning, (coughs) maybe you've never received the gift of salvation. Maybe you don't fully understand what that is about. Maybe you don't understand why Jesus was such an important guy. Maybe you don't understand who he really was. Maybe you're questioning, man, is the history that these people are believing in even true? I'm going to encourage you, ask that question to somebody. Um, I I will tell you, we do believe, uh, anything you believe is by faith, okay? Um, Believing that your car is going to start, that is something you believe by faith until you turn the key, okay? Uh, the chair you sit in, you believe by faith it's going to hold you up until you sit down and find out that it's true. Everything you believe is by faith, uh, and it's not blindness that leads us to believe in Jesus Christ. He's given us an eternally historic record that has been proved over and over is accurate and true. And we would love to share with you intellectually, Brother Lester, 
myself, Brother Eric, or many others in this room who would love to share with you the truth about Jesus Christ and why historically we have faith that he is who he says he was and that he is living forevermore and that if we'll put our faith and trust in him, we can be saved. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted him. Maybe, maybe you're here and you just need to ask those questions. I don't know, but I'm going to ask you, ask those questions. It's okay. It's okay to ask those questions. Maybe you're here and maybe you need to engage in membership a little better, a little more. Do you just respond the way God wants you to respond? Consider your attitude towards the church. Is it about you? Is it about saving face before others? Or is it about treasuring something God has given you? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the breath in our lungs. We thank you for the word that we bring, that you've given to us, that is so abundantly available to us at all times and places here in the United States. Lord, we thank you for the honor to serve you. None of us deserve it. (laughs) The best of us has no claim in any place of honor or forgiveness in front of you. But Lord, you give that to us out of grace. And we're eternally grateful. Lord, right now, help us to serve you in a way that pleases you. Lord, help us to pursue you. Help us to chase you in our life more than we chase everything else. And Lord, if there's some here who just don't understand, don't get it, don't, or, or just want to know more, Lord, I pray you just have them ask the question. Help them to be brave. Help them to be bold. Lord, help us to faithfully share. Lord, right now, as we enter this time of, uh, of invitation, I ask that you would just help us to respond. Help us to no longer sit and wait for the time to pass so we can go to lunch. Help us to respond to a living God. Help us to do things that please you. Thank you for this time again. I thank you for your willingness to hear us, our prayers. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. What shall we sing, Brother Eric? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.